0: You're listening to Widowed AF with Rosie Gilmoss and Lucinda Boast. We've invited some members of the world's most exclusive club to bravely share their stories. Join us for some honest conversations about living a different life the crushing lows, the surprising highs, and everything in between. Please note this is a podcast about death. Carefully read the episode descriptions and be kind to yourself. But for now, welcome to our podcast. Let us begin. begin. All right. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Widowed AF, and you've got me here with Lulu, and we also have a very special guest all the way from across the pond. I'd like you to welcome Anthony De Broccolo all the way from L.A. Hello, Hello. Anthony. Hello.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: You are in L.A. I am in L.A., technically, long. but yes, yeah. Los Angeles.
1: Close yeah, enough, close right, enough. Right, for
0: us. Yeah, yeah. You guys all think we know each other anyway, so... <laughs> so Anthony and I have known each other for quite some time because we are both members of this American support group which I've mentioned in the past called the hot young widows club although we're now the moderately attractive middle-aged something like we changed the name to make it
1: move with the times as it were a group formerly known as hot young widows club or something like yes (laughs) yes
0: and our timelines are quite similar, aren't, aren't they? Because Ben died in the March and your wife, Courtney, died in the June of 2018. Right. I'm, I'm going to let you, if you would, tell us in your own words how you ended up here, please.
1: Yeah, so Courtney and I decided to have a second child and we already had an, a daughter named Darby and Courtney was due to give birth on June 17th. So we drove to the hospital feeling pretty happy, excited about everything. The, the experience in the hospital was going okay. She had an epidural at about midnight on the 18th. And then the doctor came in at about 6.30 in the morning and said, everything looks like it's going okay. I'll come back in about two hours. My office is down the, down the road and I'll check in again and then we should be ready to start pushing and then about 10 minutes later all the alarms started going off in on Courtney's you know hospital bed and apparatus and pretty much every nurse came in every doctor in the hospital came in so i knew something was was bad something bad was going on and she was sort of unconscious at that point they then wheeled her out because they had to do an emergency c section to get to get Bobby out. And what what happens when they do an emergency C-section is they put the father in scrubs and they bring you into the OR to kind of watch what's happening. And they started to do that. They wheeled Courtney out, but even as that was happening, the alarms were still going crazy. And after about five minutes, they came to me and they said, you're not coming in. And I knew that was another sign that things weren't going well. They then brought me to the neonatal area, and they put me in a room and a doctor came in and said, "We have to be honest, uh Courtney's not responding, and Bobby is having some trouble uh, as we're 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 completing the c section and they took him out and they they do what's called I forget the name of the score, but they start testing." newborns to see how they're responding. And he had a very low score, meaning he wasn't getting a lot of oxygen. And they said, so we're going to concentrate on getting him up to speed. And they said, and we're going to be up front. It doesn't look like your wife is going to make it. Oh at God. that point, I was alone in the hospital. Courtney's parents were at the house watching Darby with the nanny, actually. We have a nanny named Cricket. And they brought me in another room and they brought in a doctor, but they also brought in the hospital chaplain. And that's kind of when I knew it, it, it was a good mm-hmm. outcome. Yeah. And after about maybe 10 more minutes, they said they weren't able to save Courtney, but they were able to get Bobby's scores up. So things were improving on that. And, but I, I couldn't even focus on that. At that point, I was just consumed with the fact that, you know, we went, we went to the hospital for this happy reason and then Courtney didn't make it. And, you know, so many things went through my mind at that point. One was what I was going to tell my daughter, who was in preschool at the time. Yeah. But also the fact that, you know, Courtney carried Bobby for nine months and really didn't get to see him. Eventually, my in-laws arrived and they were with me in the hospital, and my parents were flying from the East Coast. They were already coming a few days later, but they decided to obviously accelerate the trip because of what happened. So they decided to work on Bobby in the neonatal unit at the one hospital we were at. But when I went home to talk to Darby to tell her what happened, in the middle of trying to explain what happened, I got a call from the hospital saying, I had to sign off, excuse me, on a transfer for Bobby to go to children's hospital in Los Angeles, which is a specialized children's hospital, which is wonderful. And they, they really, I credit them with saving the rest of our family's life. They they gave Bobby the best care possible, but it was a weird thing. Like I had to go back and between talking to my daughter, telling my in-laws what was going on telling my parents and dealing with the transfer of Bobby to this hospital so I came home, driving home. I didn't know what I was going to say to my daughter. So I actually called my therapist and asked him for some words. And I told him what I was thinking of saying. And, and he gave me some, he said I was on the right track. So the kind of heartbreaking thing was when I came through the door, Darby was only four at the time, was very excited to see me and wanted to play hide-and-seek. So I wound up playing a game of hide-and-seek with her <laughs> before mm-hmm. telling her what happened.
0: We, uh, it's a, a friend of mine, actually, her husband died last year very suddenly. And one of the things she said to me is how strangely her youngest child had reacted, is the same age as Tabby is yeah. now. And I said to her, I know, right? I, I told the boys, I mean, obviously, Tabby was far too young. I told the boys and Monty made this horrific noise and Hector sort of copied what his brother did. And I kid you not, I turned around like five minutes later and they're in Harry Potter costumes yeah. with swords, like nothing happened. It's, it has to be a sort of prime evil defense mechanism. It has to be. Yeah, I think there? it
1: absolutely has to be. And and one of, one of the things that I did, which I was proud of myself for, and also proud of my friends for helping me, they got me hooked up with a child, grief counselor. And yeah. one of the things she said to this point was that young children, especially four years old, can talk about it, but only for very short periods of time. And then they have to move on to the next thing. So Harry Potter costumes, hide and seek, whatever it is. Yep. they And it, you're right, It is it is self-protection.
0: And if you haven't got somebody that is in that sort of Position of expert, as it were, <laughs> to tell you this, you think that your kids are psychopaths. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're, you're, and so many widows and widowers, I, I've used the word widow to refer to men as well, have talked about this. And it's, again, it's one of those weird kind of secrets of loss that nobody talks about. And I suppose, you know, perhaps it's something that none of our peers have experienced, you know, a significant loss of this magnitude for a child. So, But yeah, it does seem almost universal that this happens, sort of under the age of about six or seven, that they do this weird sort of compartmentalization. But I do, yeah, I think you're right. It is they can't process that much information. No, it's
1: it's too much at one time, and also, and you know, I'm sure you guys went through this too. It's there. One of the things with my kids and with the world in general was a general, almost like resentment that people weren't feeling the same way I was feeling about this. Like, yeah. you know, you want your kids, it's silly, but you want your daughter to be very upset because she just lost her mom. And in the moment, yeah. Oh my God. So, and I remember even taking it off my family for a second. The next day I had to go to the bank and I was walking through somewhere in Los Angeles to go to a bank and it was sunny out and people were having a great time. And I remember being so resentful that they didn't know what was happening to me.
0: How dare they, right? How dare they just carry on? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember this as well. And that kind of having to just, your world has just imploded. You're left, you went to the hospital expecting to come home as a family of four. You've left on your own. You know, your baby is in serious, you know, having serious medical intervention. And your wife has died. I I know your story. And it still brings all the hairs on my, you know, uh, uh, even hearing it, because what should have been, as you say it yourself, what should have been such a joyous, wonderful occasion ended in the most horrific way. And even then, you've got to then call Courtney's parents. And instead of saying, you have a grandson, <laughs> you'll have to say, well, you have a grandson, but well, you, I, lost,
1: you, lost you lost and daughter, yeah. And, and that, was, that was a thing, like a theme that came out of, like that started day one, And I'm sure you guys experience this too, is you wind up spending a lot of time managing other people's grief too. Like, you know, and, and I wanted to help my in-laws through losing their daughter. So that, that part was okay. But, you know, just as simple as calling health Insurance to get some detail sorted out and talking to a woman on the line and she'll say what happened and you explain the story and she starts crying. And then suddenly you're like, no, it's what, you know, I, I'm mad. Yeah. You end up coming yeah. them, yeah. don't you?
0: I, mean, I don't know whether you've heard Lulu's episode, Anthony, but when she drops that clagger on people, that's quite a surprise. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can relate so much to this. so many phone calls where, you know, John's death was so unexpected, having to kind of counsel people through yes. the story when I was still processing it
1: myself was was huge. It's a, it's a very, I think often unspoken part of losing someone.
0: Yeah. It, and even we talked so about at the school run and things, me sort of not wanting to say that my husband left my children. You know, I feel very strongly that he did not walk out of us. Yes. So I then end up blurting out this very, what to me is has become almost a, a script. Absolutely. But I, So I can tell people in a very efficient way what happened. Now you see, you'll just be able to go and listen to episodes, whatever this is, in a Widow Day People can hear your story now. Yeah. But you do, you sanitize it because it's, and also, you then don't want people getting upset because then you kind of look like a robot unless you cry, and who wants to be crying every yeah. time? You speak?
1: Yeah, it's really well. I'll I'll, I'll share with you a, a kind of like a, a darkly comic side of this. That please <laughs> do. <laughs> I you know for a living, I I write comedy for TV, so I write for different sitcoms. And
0: would you please would you please drop those names? For <laughs> sure.
1: Us? I wrote for eight seasons on The Big Bang Theory. And then I wrote for another CBS sitcom called The United States of Al. And I just started on the reboot of King of the Hill, which was on Fox and will be on Blue coming up.
0: Yeah. You, you've given me quite the status with my TH song. <laughs> oh, actually, so thank you. Thank you very
1: much. I'm, I'm glad. I'm a,
0: <laughs> but now, I'm sorry. We digress. Yeah.
1: I, no, I, no, God, no. Sorry. So Big Bang Theory ended in 2019. So, so Courtney, you know, died in 2018. And by the way, everyone I worked with was incredible. They gave me as much paternity leave as I wanted. And, and, and the leave after losing my wife, you know, all of that stuff, they were great, but the show ended. And then I had to start reestablishing my career, pitching new shows. And I would go around on these meetings and meet with different producers in town and their comedy meetings. And I'm supposed to make them laugh in the meeting i had probably three meetings where i had the producers crying by the end because i explained to them what just happened to me
0: why you yeah Yeah. exactly
1: so you know it was like the the weirdness of going in to try to impress people with being funny and having them cry instead so did it get you work and sometimes yeah it did it did
0: I got in men to take my bin out for exactly. me, you. Know, we got to take exactly. the winds where you
1: get them. it. It differentiated me from the funny comedy writers, which, <laughs> you know.
0: I, there you go. There you go. Everybody's got. To have I was the
1: sad one. Yeah.
0: Wink. I was reading this very, very beautifully written blog that you you did. You wrote a letter to Courtney, didn't <laughs> you? About was it about three months after she died, and I I read it early on when I when I first we first became friends. And I I read it again in preparation for this. And I I kind of didn't remember it all. And I can only assume that because I was so self-absorbed with my own grief at the time, I didn't I didn't realise, for example, that Bobby had been so poorly. And just rereading it, the the love that you had and presumably still do for your wife, because we very much know that the love doesn't die. And it's that you describe her in one paragraph as a celestial body. And I just think what a way! What a way to be described, and it there's a real power in those words of the the impact that she had on, uh, as you say yourself, and the rest of the world. And I just I think you've honoured her very beautifully in the way you've written to her here. And I think I do. I, it's very much what we're about here, isn't it? It's about putting those emotions out there and publicly saying what you wish you very much wish you could say to them. Yeah,
1: thank you for that. Yeah, and and it it believe it or not, it was actually pretty easy just because of how powerful she was you know in in our family's life in my life and how she continues to be oh. you know we,
0: yeah I, i've obviously i never met courtney and i've never met Darby in person but i've seen many photos and videos of her and she it must be like almost looking at the a miniature version of courtney they they look to me anyway <laughs> almost identical like that must come two. with both pleasure and pain you know it must bring you joy to see her looking back at you but it's, it's difficult v- it as is well. very
1: bittersweet Absolutely, but I would say, especially as the years go on, more joyful than sad. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, we feel that very much. Actually, you do. You catch a glimpse of them as they turn ahead. My eldest looks very much like his dad, and you know it can catch your breath a little bit. But most of the time, it's a, it does make you smile. Yeah, and
1: she's she's very um, dramatic, like her mom. And I was like she she will come. She will, her mom was an act, Courtney was an actress and. Darby will come through the door sometimes and just start imitating kids at school or teachers and go into this thing and I and I am looking at Courtney, I am talking to Courtney. It's it's an, it's incredible.
0: And that's beautiful, by the oh, way. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. And also, I have a very dramatic daughter of right. my and own, as you know. So at, at some yeah. point, you need to get these girls in a yep. room. I don't know whether I want to be in <laughs> room. glitter explosion. I'm about Bobby because. Obviously Tabby's dad died when she was 6 months old. So it is not it is not the same loss, but it's in similar in that they don't know the person that they lost. They they all they have are kind of learned memories and photos. So how how do you navigate that with him because he's getting to an age now where he must start having questions? It's exactly
1: what's happening. Actually the the questions probably started about 6 months ago. And it's been an interesting and difficult experience. He's great. So he's very inquisitive and wants to know about Courtney, but also similarly to Darby at that age, because he's about the age Darby was when she found out. He can only talk about it for so long before he's out. But we have an interesting situation because our nanny Cricket, who was in place when Bobby was born, it was kind of a godsend to me she moved into our garage apartment that is behind our house when Bobby was born and Courtney died. And she said she was trained as a night nurse. So she said, let me take Bobby at night while you, you take Darby and do all of that. So it, that saved my life and everyone's life. And she was able to help sleep train Bobby and just, so she's become for lack of a better term, you know, a second mom especially to Bobby.
0: Yeah. i figure.
1: So, but I mean, I will be very honest with you. It has created some difficult moments for me. You know, one morning we were getting ready for school and Bobby was saying, I love you, daddy. And I said, oh, that's sweet. He said, I love grandma Ellen. I love grandpa Roger. I love Darby. He said, I love cricket. And he said, but I don't love mommy. And I said, Oh, Oh, sweetie, why don't you love mommy? And he said, well, Cause she's gone and she's not here. And I said, you know, she, she wants to be here. She wanted to be here and she's still in our hearts, but she, she couldn't. And then he kind of let that go. And then a couple of days later he drew a picture and it was a, it was a, a woman or as much as a four-year-old can draw of a, <laughs> of a woman and with something in her belly. And I said, what's this? Bobby and he said it's it's me in cricket's belly so oh. he has identified so much with cricket obviously that he's and he said I wish I wish cricket had me instead of mommy so <laughs> it's a very it's a very difficult mm. topic to navigate
0: and those are incredibly painful words to hear I'll say because that's not feel like she's being kind of erased from his mind and of course, that's not the case. And it's just a four-year-old that can't, you know, they can't, if it's not immediately in front of exactly. them, they can't see it at all, can they? And But, yeah, even just hearing words like that. I know that Hector Hector has autism He's, uh-huh. and he asks me very, very direct questions. And he always, he always has, really. And it will be things like, did a shark eat daddy's body? Or what happens to bodies when they're in the water? And very sort of... Questions I I I want no part of, if I'm honest. But you have to put your own discomforts to one side and answer. And that does lead me to the question of how does he know how his mum died, and does he know that it was having him? Because that must be very challenging. Yes. So
1: that's another the kind of the ultimately difficult layer of complication to all of this. She died while giving birth to him. And Mm. one of the one of the things I did is when we had Courtney cremated and we got a family kind of kind of place at the cemetery and for her plaque, I purposely left off the date of death. I just put the years because I didn't want him to see his birthday. You know, just, oh my God. That
0: really got me. That has, sorry. No, that's okay. real, I don't okay. really. Got um, me.
1: Oh. But he's been starting to ask those questions like, and, and he's, And, you know, even though he said that thing earlier about, I wish cricket had had me, he's also been really interested in, in his mommy and asking a lot of questions about her. So that's also, you know, there's good with it too. And he was like, what was it like when I was in mommy's belly? And we tell him that, you know, Courtney used to show me when he was kicking and he kicked a lot and he likes trying to imitate that. And so I've been talking with the same grief counselor that helped Darby when she was a baby. And I, and I kind of have separate sessions with her about how to talk to Bobby and explain what happened. And you know, you can't lie. That's one of the things I've learned in, in grief counseling. And it, and I think, especially in America, I don't know if this is true in other countries, but we're kind of like trained to be speaking euphemisms, like, like
0: yes. passed away. I mean, she should be,
1: be died, you know? So she's been helping me with more direct language. And also to not make it seem like it was his fault. Uh, yeah, and it, that's because. Oh. And you know, that I didn't get into that too much, but there was a long stretch, probably a month where I didn't even know from the doctors exactly mm-hmm. what happened. They were giving me conflicting answers and the eventual back and forth and through a lot of testing, it was determined that Courtney had an amniotic fluid embolism, which is a really rare and, and kind of fluky thing.
0: I hadn't heard of this until I looked at the comments on your yeah, blog.
1: Yeah. So and you know, I don't know, how do you explain that to a four year old? It's hard enough explaining that to a to one of us. So I, I, I just kinda have to talk about it and say, you know, her body stopped working and but it was it was after you were born and that kind of thing. And
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's that is it just not ever wanting them to feel in any way that they had any responsibility no. because even my kids, you know, they'll say, oh, I wish, Hector said to oh, I wish I could build a time machine, and i would go back. He said, but I wouldn't go back to the day Daddy died. I'd go back to the day before, mm-hmm. and I would say to him, don't go diving. And you think, oh, my God, this is all in their little heads. I know. But they haven't got the vocabulary to articulate you know. it. It's, oh, wait, poor little
1: buckets are and, and, yeah, I, I, I feel truly awful for them for so many reasons, but because one of the things is even though no matter how far I go out of my way to explain to him that it wasn't his fault. It's almost inevitable that a human being by nature will link the two events yeah. and have feelings about that.
0: Yeah. Especially those sort of angry teenagers, as yeah. well, where you're sort of looking for this kind of inward self-blaming thing, aren't you? But I, I don't doubt for a second with, with you in his corner, he's going to be all oh, right, both of them are, because... Yeah, it, and it is. It, there's an extra layer with a dad as well. And I obviously, from being with John, I I know this from talking to him. And it's that whole. And I don't know whether having cricket sort of navigated this for you, but of course, if you're a dad on your own with a daughter, who is letting their little girls come round and play? You know, and it's it adds that kind of extra kind of isolation and that like you're the freaky troll that nobody wants around. Yes. So for men, it. it, it it is different, and I know John never liked when really he sort of being told that he was doing amazingly because he's like it's just it's just what dads do it just the same as mums. But I I think it perhaps makes you that even more isolated than the women feel in that situation because as I'm sure you know yourself, men aren't always very good at talking about <laughs> their
1: feelings. Well, it, well, it seems like jo- you, Jonathan is the right guy to have around because he seems like he's doing an amazing job. But it, it's really interesting timing that you ask you talk about this because Darby is eight. And cricket and I had a discussion about you know puberty and how do we
0: oh yeah navigate that
1: right I mean like I wouldn't I, I'm I'm not a girl you know <laughs> so okay. I don't know how to talk about those issues that well but cricket went through it so in that way I feel extremely lucky to have a woman around who can talk about that yeah. and just today we FaceTimed with my mom. And Darby had some questions about what it was like to go through puberty in the 1950s. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So we have our little village that is is doing. We're doing our best, but it's those moments where I feel especially deficient. I mean, I'm glad I have, you know, the family. So I'll give you another story that really illustrates this to me. It was it was what That's made me, it. what made me feel like I I was not enough, and, and I did my best, but. It was last October. My father-in-law was having a family celebration of Courtney's life in Maine. So my father-in-law also went through a lot of loss the past four years. In addition to his daughter, he, his wife, my mother-in-law passed away and his two parents died. So oh, yeah, daddy, how? it's like four people in the span of two years. I, I I honestly don't know how he does it, but I mean, people say that about us and we're doing it. So anyway. I had to fly to have the luxury. Yeah, flight exactly. Flight. You don't have the choice. So I flew with Darby from L.A. to Maine, which is not a direct flight. So there was a lot of, you know, stopping and waiting in airports, and it was still COVID was kind of still strong. So it was masks and a lot of extra stuff. We got to Maine, and we were in a cabin with my father in law and his family. And in the middle of the night, Darby got up and said. Her stomach was feeling bad. And then her throat was really tight. So we went into the bathroom and I sat with her. And she still wasn't feeling good. We got on the plane to fly back. And she was just miserable physically. And we got a we got stuck in Atlanta for like five hours. And the plane kept getting delayed. And she was feeling really sick. And I and I just kept thinking like. Courtney would be so much better in this situation than me. She needs her mom. You oh, know? No. She needs her
0: mom. Yeah. And it, it, it comes up, doesn't it? Time and time again, you think that you have just got yourself to a point where you've got your shit together yeah. and you're managing and, you know, you've got work and you've got parenting and you're starting to get social, life and then something happens and you just think, Oh, you know, it, Monty got an award at school, yeah. you know, it, it was quite a deal. And he was one of the top performing kids in his year. And, I went with my mom and like oh, you know that's he should be here he should be celebrating the wins and you can't help yourself but project forward to wedding days and you know they may never get married you you can't think like that but you do don't you yeah. even very early on I used to think about stuff like yeah. that yeah
1: and th- and that's been that's been a, a really hammered home to me with Bobby because Bobby is now at an age where he's hitting all the milestones you know like the first the first words the fr- you know reading on his own graduating from preschool and like I feel like Courtney's being robbed of all of that, and yes. and, and she is, you know, she has
0: been robbed, and he's and been robbed.
1: She carried him for nine months, and it just seems so unfair. And and obviously, obviously, that's true with with Darby too. You know, Darby's in her; she's yeah. performing in her first musical, and Courtney was an actress in, in musical theater, and her not getting to see that is is tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. And it it, it is so, excuse my language, Rob, it's fucking unfair because you all deserve to have her around. And and she deserved to see these beautiful humans that she created and the man that she loved, you know, living to old age. And I'm really, really sorry that you didn't get that happy ever after. I am. I'm sorry. Are you able to tell us? (laughs) I know it's welcome. This is the shit club, isn't it? Nobody wants to be here, but we're all in here together, supporting each other through it. And you know, that's what matters, isn't it? That's when you see the humanity. Mm -hmm. What does life look like for you guys now?
1: It is mostly good, actually, mostly very positive. Mm -hmm. Like the kids are thriving. Darby's doing great at school. You know, she's just like her mom. She's super competitive. A go-getter does every anything and everything. Like she does a little bit of music, she does a little bit of art. She does. She loves soccer. She's obsessed with soccer now. Bobby is really funny and really active. And you know, it it it's a little different because I do have a live-in nanny, which a lot of people don't have that luxury, and I understand that. So I'm pretty lucky in that regard. Uh, Very lucky in that regard. And as are.
0: But you also have. A demanding job I as do, well. Yeah. You know, on so cool. that, and, and that
1: is tricky in two different ways. So when I'm on a show and I'm on a writing staff, you know, I'm gone from nine o'clock in the morning until sometimes seven o'clock at night, sometimes much later. So that's hard. And then to come home on the weekends and the kids just want to play with me the whole time. And that's, you know, and sometimes it's just I'm out of breath yeah. <laughs> from that. Yeah. The, the converse of that is when I'm out of work, and not out of work, but you know, developing my own stuff.
0: <laughs> we won't do a whip round
1: <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, developing my own stuff and writing on my own, I- I'm writing from home. So, if I'm upstairs in the office and I so much as go to use the bathroom, I can hear Daddy and Bobby comes running up and he wants to play. You know, so it- it's a it's a challenge as as far as that goes.
0: Well, we normally record when the kids are at school, but due to the time difference it's eight well it, it was eight o'clock when we started recording yeah. yeah and had to dish out some quite heavy bribes and threats yeah so they will stay <laughs> in their room exactly. they don't come in this room exactly but, yeah oh it's been so lovely to talk to you i could probably ask you a million more questions but i i i, I think we, we probably need some time to process that you you've been really really generous with your with your honesty and with your time oh, today so thank sure, you of course
1: is, there, is um, there anything else you wanted to ask?
0: I don't think so at the moment. Are you dating anybody? Do you want to tell us that? <laughs> I have. <laughs> I do like. To
1: I, I have just started to explore the dating apps.
0: Oh God!
1: Yeah. <laughs> Godspeed. Thank you. I had tried about maybe a year and a half out, and I just wasn't ready.
0: You, you come to it in your own time, don't you? Yeah. Some some. Some never do, some do very quickly, some in their own sweet time. But I I wish you and that wonderful family of yours that you are raising so honourably and so beautifully. I wish you all the happiness in the world because, my God, you deserve it. And I look forward to watching King of the Hill in oh, really with you no again. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that back into my life. <laughs> of course,
1: my God. It, I'm part of a team, part of a big team. <laughs>
0: well aren't we all aren't we all well thank you ever so much yeah thank you guys i really appreciate this is
1: is a really great thing you're doing for for the widow community and anyone who's experienced loss i think can find some universality in what you're doing so thank you
0: thank you that means a lot thank you so much anthony thank you for listening today we'll be back with you soon for more from the front line of loss but for now as you were